Welcome, everyone, to the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast here on InsideOfBaseball.com. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you are listening to us on those platforms, please subscribe so you know when we drop new episodes. We're not doing it on a regular basis. I'm Lou Blasi with Scott Dombrowski from Fantastics and InsiderBaseball.com. And we're in that period of time at the beginning of the season, Skywards. we got a balance between all the influences that we're seeing in day to day and with three or four games in as we, um, as we do this podcast. So just, you just want to react and overreact and you got to calm that down a little bit, but you also got to pay attention to the times when you should react a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I try to treat it just like it's extended preseason where we're just, we're getting a little bit of data. The data can't be that important. Um, but it's, it's hard when you look at, uh, you know, this list of my guys, you got half of them have gotten off to really good starts. Half of them have not. And it's it's hard not to use confirmation bias and, and then get upset on the other half and things like that. So, yeah, it's a tough time of year and we'll get through it. Yeah, and it's tough because I always like to talk about the flex spots on the roster and don't get attached to your roster and things like that. So you've got guys that you maybe took a little reach on or you like a little better and you just put them on your roster and didn't get off to great starts. And meanwhile, there's, you know, the Adam Duvall's of the world going <laughs> off and, and you go, well, yeah, and it, it 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 is dealing with several kind of opposite or different tangents of philosophy. It's like be flexible, play the hot hand, don't get too attached to your players, but by the same token, you know, don't go be too far. To pivot. Too fast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't don't overreact, but be ready to pivot immediately. Exactly. <laughs> We're of no help whatsoever. <laughs> because, well, it's tough, but but I think you know when when you're you're talking about your drafts and auctions that you did last month, or in my case, like uh, all weekend long this past weekend, um, you put time into preparation and you make a bunch of decisions that have uh, been based ostensibly in some research and some thought process involved to upset that immediately because a guy hit three home runs in 12 at bats is that's the epitome of foolishness. So you can't do that. You just, you cannot, you take, information into account you process it but do not overreact so as a result here in the podcast we're going to avoid that whole mess altogether and we're going to talk about skies guys and it was, <laughs> it's an easy way to avoid it let's just avoid that whole mess whatsoever not come in on everything but go to inside of baseball.com the baseball blog if you're not a subscriber uh, where you can get all of these podcasts and you can get uh, samples of our player notes that go out every day to our subscribers. That'll give you a good idea of what we're doing. And of course, your subscribers pay attention to our notes because our writers are breaking all this down on a daily basis. Uh, you know, most immediate information is usually most helpful and helps you make those good decisions. This is a list of players, Skyler. We went through a lineup and these are guys that are hopefully good profit centers that may or may not even be still available. You probably got them at bargain prices. There's a couple of guys in here who might it might be floating around still, um, but this is basically, this is what we're looking for in the draft. We want value back at the top end of the draft, and then at some point in the draft, we want to find some profit centers. Yeah, no question about it. I think these do fall into a couple different categories. There are a handful of guys in here that definitely are getting drafted, but that I think could be really core members of a squad instead of just sort of fringe guys. And then there are some guys that may very well still be available, um, and those players I do feel will end up being pretty reasonable starters this year. So it's a nice mix. Um, I have full disclosure. I have shares of all these players, yeah. multiple shares of most of them. So I am completely invested in what I'm offering. 
All right, let's start on the pitching side. And I told you we were going to start with the starting pitchers and they go to Pete Fairbanks at the end for the relief pitcher. But I want to pair Glassnow and Fairbanks together because they're interesting principles in that their value because they're the same principle, but for opposite reasons, because one isn't hurt now and because the other is hurt now. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair way to put it, to be honest. Um, these are two players where you basically assume going in, you're not getting a full season. But what you're hoping for is our favorite kind of pitcher that they're either going to be good or hurt. Mm-hmm. And especially in Glassnow's case, I think that it's it's really sort of favorable what has happened. You know, he has a core injury, not an arm injury, which would make us put us into full on DEFCON two mode. <laughs> but you know, with with a core injury, you know it's going to be a little bit before he can ramp up. But you already knew that you probably weren't getting more than 120 to 130 innings out of glass now at most. So to have it sort of predictable for you, obviously going under the assumption that he doesn't get hurt the rest of the way. But if he's healthy the rest of the season and he starts, you know, around Memorial Day and can give you the entire rest of the season, including playoffs, you wouldn't have gotten that if he opened up opening day and pitched. They would have had to start resting him at some point or something would happen. He'd, he'd get banged up for six weeks towards, you know, down in the playoff run or something. Right. It, it's almost better for you to say, all right, well, I'm not going to have him for the first six weeks. So maybe I'll grab somebody that was really hot out of spring, like, oh, like a Graham Ashcraft or like a Yusei Kikuchi or uh, Andrew Heaney or somebody like that, where I, I know that I can get some innings out of him. They might still be good. He might be on a run here until people figure out what he's doing different. And then by the time Glassnow is ready to go, you know, maybe he'll have fallen off. I can just plug and play and Glassnow will give me that SP one type of performance through the rest of the season. It could be the best thing in the world. The amount of profit that this presents is largely dependent on your format for a couple of different reasons. If you're head to head, like Skylar and I play a lot of head to head, head to head is my main game. I love it. And you're getting into a playoff run. I'd rather have Tyler Glassnow at the end of my run and as you said, having known quantity, I can just put him on an injured list and get another pitcher, get my handcuff pitcher, and just insert him here at the beginning and then play it out as it plays out going forward, hoping he's healthy going through. It also depends on your roster format, whether you just have reserves or whether you have an injured list and you can stash him. Uh, there are a number of factors that come into to account here, but in most cases, we're hoping that what this means is as we get further into the season, he's going to be healthy. And if you look at the last few years, he hasn't topped 100 innings pitched since 2018, only six innings pitched last year, 88 the year before. You knew there was an innings limit. So if he started out at the beginning of the year and stayed healthy, which was, quote, the best case scenario, he might disappear on you when things get iffy at the end. And then you're scrounging for a starting pitcher. And it's a little bit more iffy getting that handcuff pitcher, say, in August than it might or September than it might be at this time of year. Yeah, definitely true. And if you look back at Tyler Glassnow's performance, the last four or five years, when he's healthy, he gives you ace-type performances. Yeah, there was that blip of an ERA during the COVID year. We we basically ignore most of that stuff anyway. And, and of course, he was actually healthy that that entire year. <laughs> he pitched all eleven starts that he would be he would have been expected to pitch in a sixty-game season. So yeah, but his exit was right in line that year at two two point seven five exactly. to four point oh eight. So. And, it, and the odd thing is, is that as he's bounced around in performance and had these injury-shortened seasons, that XFIP has come down every single year. He's continued to actually pitch better and better, and the velocity has continued to go up and up and up. So he was exhibiting normal velocity this spring, looked pretty good before the injury, 
Uh, I expect him to come back 100% and be just as good as you would hope that he would be. So I think he's a great stash right now. And it's funny. It's ironic in a way. The worst case scenario, not not the worst case scenario, but one of the less favorable scenarios might have been if he were healthy the whole year and how uh, Tampa Bay decided to handle him in terms of maybe he only gets four innings and a start of five innings to start, misses a rotation here or there, but he's healthy and on your roster and you have to deal with that. That would almost, that would be one of the least favorable scenarios. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what the expected scenario would be. If he were healthy from April 1st on, I I fully expect that they would use him as an opener a few times. You know how Tampa is. Yep. They want to, they want to get something out of him. So they'd pitch him for an inning or two and then he'd be out and you'd be trying to figure out, well, is that worth using? I mean, he's basically a glorified closer without saves right now and it would be a mess. So I think this could be the best situation for fantasy purposes for everyone involved. All right. You brought up Graham Ashcraft. So let's slip him in here because he's not on your list of skies guys here, but he is the uh, darling of the waiver wire at this point in the season. And this goes back to the opening discussion that we had how much attention do you pay to hot hands and how much attention, you know, you should be fishing for hot hands at this point. There's no doubt about it, but you have to, you have to skirt that line. You have to walk the tightrope of what's overreacting and what's playing the hot hand. Well, I think that's the thing here is <clears throat> my whole point of making this list was to highlight players that I personally value more than consensus. So this is not to say that I don't like Graham Ashcraft. I have two shares I probably have 33% Graham Ashcraft across my leagues. I think he's great. I've had him for a while. But the problem is, is that the value that is placed on him industry-wide right now is probably even a little higher than the value that I place on him. I don't think that he is a top 30 pitcher because he just doesn't miss enough bats. He's much more along the lines of the old Derek Lowe style of pitcher where he's just throwing those the heavy cutter, the heavy two-seamer, and he's, he's probably not allowing a lot of hard contact. The control has improved tremendously over the last couple of seasons, but he's just not going to give you that K upside. And the team that he pitches for is really yeah. not a great offensive team. So, you know, there's a couple aspects of his ceiling there that aren't there that I'd be looking for to say, all right, I, he is he's somebody I'm incredibly high on. I think he's good, quality pitcher. Probably will be a mid-rotation kind of a performer this year, which is just fine. But that's where everybody has it. Yeah, but you can all you at this point. You're right. The price has changed, especially around this particular in the in the first waiver runs of the season, fab runs of the season. Price has gotten too pricey on him. He's a really good guy to have at the end of your rotation as part of that flex rotation where you're picking spots here and there because you could pick good starts and probably get a little bit better starter out of him. I generally don't like contact guys, so I'll be interested in watching his strike rate and what he's capable of because with that velocity, you'd figure he's capable of a little bit more, but they do make contact. He controls the quality of contact. That's excellent, but a contact pitcher pitcher, pitching in Cincinnati is not my ideal situation. No, nor mine, but the ground ball rate is so high that I think even with a, a relatively elevated HR to fly ball rate, which he does have, uh, he's just not going to allow that many homers because he doesn't allow that many fly balls to begin with. All right. So, I also, I paired up Glassnow and Fairbanks. So let's go back to Fairbanks because we talked about Glassnow being a value of value and a, a profit center and a guy we should look at because he injured, he is injured right now. Fairbanks is a guy that we should be looking at because he isn't injured right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of the, the the flip side of the same coin where, in my mind, it's a lot easier to replace a relief pitcher that gets hurt 
especially mm-hmm. a closer, than it is to replace a starter that gets hurt. Because odds are, in today's game, your sixth starter, seventh starter for a team is going to be a 4A kind of a guy. So he's not going to be somebody you generally want in. You're just kind of hoping he doesn't get blown up. Whereas your next man up in the bullpen to close is probably another guy that throws 98 with a nasty breaking pitch and can certainly get saves and get Ks and be good. So the replacement value is so much higher relative to the guy that you're losing versus the starting rotation. Right. But with Pete Fairbanks, you know, he's another guy that every time he's been healthy, he's really racked up the Ks. Tampa is perfectly happy putting him at the end of games in high leverage scenarios. Might not necessarily be saves, but I think he will be the favorite for saves this year. And last year, the control took a big jump forward. That's been his big issue over the years. And for him to only walk 1.1 men per nine in 24 innings, yes, it's only 24 innings, but you know, for a reliever, that's 24 games. So that's a lot of times out there where he walked a total of three batters. So that's really impressive. And I think that that bodes very well for him this year. You just hope that that funky delivery and massive amount of torque on a very long frame can allow him to hold up. Yeah, not only did he make gains in controls, he made gains in ground balls. He got a lot more ground balls out of it, which paired with his K rate in this particular case just makes him supremely effective. And you're right, there's a lot of interchangeable parts. You may not replace Fairbanks when he's healthy at a couple weeks down the season should he get hurt, but you can get a you can certainly get a service, serviceable replacement for him. And there's just no reason to ignore him while he's healthy and pitching. Grab him, put him on your roster, ride him as hard as you can. When he gets hurt, then you move on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, as far as value went this uh, this weekend in auctions, he was my number one relief pitching target because he's kind of people seem to have him ranked down in the ten to fifteen range among closers, and I think that you know saves notwithstanding, because he's certainly not going to be the only guy that Tampa throws out there in a save situation which puts him behind maybe six or eight guys. But he's the first man up for me after that because his uh, actual performance, how he pitches, is as good as anyone. And he early on, I really liked him because I thought he was a Josh Hader type of model. He'd be a good heavy reliever and and pile up some innings. And he kind of is that way. And not if you look at the innings totals, but if you look at his relative time when he's healthy, again, it's a situation he kind of plays that role. He picks up innings a lot of times during the week. He's he's uh, durable. He comes back. He gives you innings and strikeouts as well as that excellent ratio performances. It's going to chip in a save here and there. If you're a hold and save league, he's, he's a great guy to have on your roster. Yeah, I completely agree. The only issue always, you know, when you're talking about Tampa relievers is when does he come in? I mean, if they're facing a critical at bat in the sixth or seventh, he may very well find himself in the game then because that is probably the highest leverage scenario they're going to have in the game. And for fantasy purposes, we just haven't found a way to value that properly yet. So we still use these archaic saves and hold things because we just, they haven't figured out how to incorporate leverage into Roto style scoring. So, you know, until we do that, his value will be a little bit minimized. The only worse stat there is on the planet than holds is blown saves, (laughs) (laughs) which we use in my league too. And it's all part of a bullpen point situation where you get three for a save, two for a hold, and minus two for a blown save. But blown save is the worst stat on the planet. I I agree with you. And, you know, I I could easily construct a good bullpen stat. It would be akin to diving where, you know, there is a leverage stat out there. 
So you would just multiply the points generated by the leverage of the situation, and that would be their score for the day. It would be easy to do, like I said, be very like Olympic diving. Um, but you know, who wants to get that complex? I, I do, and some other people do, but not many people do. So yeah, and my thing about that is, in running leagues over the years, one of my principles has always been: if you can't watch Sports Center and see how you're doing, you know, completely what are we doing? Understand? There? I completely yeah, so- understand. Well, I love that stat, and, it was, and we've been working on it, Fantastics, or I've been pushing it, Fantastics, for a long time and trying to develop m- myself something that's a little bit better than a quality start, a little bit more telling of what the start was like and on a more gradient scale as opposed to pass or fail quality start. And, of course, quality start is a pretty bad stat at this point in baseball, too, the way they're using starting pitching. But at a certain point, it gets just – it gets so complex that, again – Watch sports and to see the box score. You got to be able to see how you're doing. At least that's my philosophy with stats. Usually, no, I I agree with you. But I think you and I both have talked about how we consume baseball in particular, but sports yeah. in general anymore, and it is changing. You know how many people sit down. I have actually sat down and watched most of a game from start to finish this year because I'm actually playing a lot more this year in terms of number of fantasy leagues and in quality of fantasy leagues. Uh, so I am paying much more attention than I normally do at the beginning of the year, which is just sad to say, but it's just <laughs> where it is. Uh, so I am watching baseball, but primarily like last night, my wife came in here and I was just, I was sitting in the kitchen, which is where my laptop was. And she said, why are you just sitting in here looking at your computer? I said, well, I'm watching baseball. <laughs> so you the game's on the TV. Baseball. I'm like, I can hear that one. <laughs> you're not watching baseball. You're looking at a live scoring, right? Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, that kind of thing you could easily incorporate what we're talking about into that, which is how many people consume the sport now. Yep. Yeah. But, and and we're definitely going to have to, the way starting pitching is going, the sport is going to have to take a look at how it scores uh, pitching because wins is a bad stat right now. Losses are a bad stat. Uh, Quality starts is a bad, I mean, just almost too archaic to be useful. So something's got to be done. I agree. And I think the core of it is, is, somewhere in what I just was discussing. Yeah. But I think it's going to be years before we kind of come to uh, an agreement across the industry. And if we ever can do that uh, as to how best to value pitching in this environment that we find ourselves in now. All right. Alex Cobb is in year two of being a fantastic binky. We've been on him uh, for at least two years. And I, I just, I just loved him when he ended up in San Francisco because I thought that was the perfect situation for him. And the rest of the industry hasn't caught up to our level of devotedness, apparently, <laughs> because he's going at bargain prices. Yeah, I, I just I don't get it. Like this is the, the first start that he had of the season, I believe, second game against the Yankees in New York was a start that even last year I would have benched him for. Yep. But the way that he has pitched, I said, you know what? I'm letting him ride. That Yankee lineup will strike out. Uh, I think he can avoid, you know, he might give up a homer or two, but I think he can avoid getting blown up. And as it turned out, you know, he gave up four hits, two runs, one earned over only three and two thirds innings, but he walked one, struck out six. It was a perfectly credible start, 60% ground ball rate. The velocity was completely intact from what I saw. I mean, most of last year's gains stayed. In fact, it was actually up two tenths of a percent. So, or two tenths of a mile an hour. So Cobb now is in his sixth, seventh straight year of gaining velocity. That's staggering as a player enters his mid thirties. I know. Right. But you know, he's that Yankee start, by the way, 
and it's the Yankees, keep in mind, and it's the Yankees at Yankee Stadium, a launch angle of minus five degrees against the Yankees. 60% ground ball rate, and he had a 60-plus percent ground ball rate last year in a park that is extremely beneficial for not allowing homers to begin with. So the odds of Alex Cobb putting up a a a three-and-a-half or lower ERA this year, in my mind, are quite high, and he was going outside the top 60 starting pitchers. I just don't get it. Like, what are people seeing that I'm not seeing? I know, right? And this is an interesting example in the principle that we talk about a lot here. Just look at his career. If you take up the stat box and you look at his career in Tampa, good pitching organization. Baltimore, bad pitching organization. (laughs) San Francisco, excellent pitching organization. And you, you see how he's responded to what's been going on within that organization. I don't want to pin it all on that, but it's a pretty clear roadmap. He's a chameleon. Yeah, well, he I mean, just, he just performs like whatever the organization is that he's in. Well, yes, but I mean, it's a, it, there are some not so great organizations that have good pitching, developed pitchers, and there are organizations that deal well with veteran pitchers. San Francisco is great with veteran pitchers. Houston yeah. is great with veteran pitchers. Tampa Bay is good with young pitchers. He's just he takes coaching and, and they can get things out of him. There, there is performance to be had here, but he's been extremely consistent for three years now. Yeah, he really has. And and I mean, look at Disco Tony last night. Pretty much if you're a San Francisco pitcher, I'm interested. Yeah. Whether it's going to be just streaming your starts at home or more than that. But Alex Cobb, I think, is the best of the bunch. And he and the guy we're going to talk about next were SPs 64 and 63 via ADP at the end of spring, which, I, I mean, people are seriously picking Miles Michaelis instead, instead of, like, what are you seeing? I know it was so much fun going through the drafts this spring and watching Alex Cobb fall because, mm-hmm. you know, he's on my list. I'm going to own him. I know I don't have to take him here. It's just like, it's like, it's, it's so satisfying in a way, but it's, it's perplexing. Chris Bassett is SP 40 at the end yeah. of spring. Okay. Nice. Chris Bassett with those fences coming in in Toronto, I don't want to touch him with a 10 foot pole. And here's Alex Cobb going 80 picks after him on average. I, it's mind-boggling, man. And, of course, the schedule has changed. It's less imbalanced, less in, in division play. But not only does he pitch in San Francisco, he pitches in Dodger Stadium, which is more neutral than we give it credit for or has become more neutral than we give it credit for. Arizona is certainly a pitcher-friendly park. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Petco he's a, also. Yeah. Yeah, Petco also. I mean, all he's got yeah. is Colorado. That's an issue. So you bench him for that start. Okay, twice a year maybe? Fine. So you get Alex Cobb with – We've got Alex Cobb here, and he goes to San Francisco, which makes him interesting because of the coaching and because of the ballpark that he's pitching in and the division he's pitching in. Yeah. I mean, he's not a guy. Usually when you're down in, in SP, you know, 60 to 80 land, you're looking for a guy that maybe you're going to stream 10 to 15 of his starts. So he's a guy that you're certainly – oh, I went full Chris Collinsworth, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're definitely using every home start of his, and then you're going to use – half to three quarters of his road starts. So, you know, if he's healthy the whole year, you're using 24 to 26 of his starts. That's a number three starter. That's a guy that should be around SP 40 where Chris Bassett is. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Andrew Haney, who you mentioned, this might be a very similar situation because we've got a pitcher who's grown up in the, in the angels organization, kind of cross town to the Dodgers and the Dodgers are a good pitching organization and, and it showing it showed. Yeah. It's something he basically, it looks to me like he decided, all right, 
I'm only going to be a two to three times through the order of pitcher now. So this changeup that stinks. Like every other pitcher, basically. Yeah. So just this changeup that I have, it stinks. Forget it. Fastball slider, that's my bread and butter. He also added a mile an hour uh, of velocity on the fastball and four on the slider. Slider became much more effective as a harder, more difficult-to-pick-up offering. And he went from a guy that was already, I wouldn't say elite, but he was already well above average in terms of swinging strike rate and chase rate to a guy that was elite. You know, he went from the 12 to 14% range in swinging strike and 33 to 36 in chase to 17% and almost 40% respectively, which are off-the-charts numbers. So he did that while actually improving his his walk rate, which was already sort of average. The ground ball rate's going to be a problem, so he's going to give up some home runs, and he's moving from the Dodgers to Texas, which in the past you'd think is a really poor move uh, for a pitcher, but it really isn't anymore. Dodger Stadium, you will give up homers. Uh, there's not... There's a lot of foul territory, and there's not a lot of room in that outfield. So they tend to not give up as many singles and doubles as other teams' parks. So Dodger Stadium is sort of neutral in general, but there will be home runs, which is the problem for Haney. Uh, Texas, little less home runs. So I think it's actually going to be a slightly favorable move for him in terms of friendliness to his arsenal. I think it's going to be really good. He pitches tonight. Going to watch it very curiously. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. I'll be looking at that one, too. Uh, this is an important point with pitchers. We, we've got into model situations with hitters through development, and we usually get to a point with hitters where he is what he is at this point, although approach changes can change things. You see things happening now and again, and it, often it younger hitters that do it. With pitchers, they find things. For mm-hmm. some reason, they wander around the ballpark. They, they go into the film room, or they go into the bullpen, or they – talk to somebody else on another team and it doesn't matter the age they find things they find a little velo they find a different grip on a pitch they find a deployment uh, change like you saw there that was probably coaching with the dodgers that got him the velo and the deployment change but this is something you have to be open to even veteran pitchers because they just wander around the ballpark and they find things you tell me andrew heaney talking to clayton kershaw last year oh yeah didn't help him yeah like, who is he going to talk to with the angels yeah, it's funny. It, it can Tommy be doesn't as, speak English. Who's he going to talk to? Jose Suarez? I mean, come on. It can be as simple to that as as that as where your locker was this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. The little things. Kershaw, just hanging out. You know, it's just like and just, pictures, just two lefties hanging out in the bullpen. Yeah, and you've <laughs> yeah. got you've got the my favorite placebo, which is move six inches on the rubber from the pitching coach, or <laughs> someone just gives you a different grip because you're working with a different pitcher this year, and it's like. Pitchers just wander around and they find things. you got to be open to it. Sometimes pitchers change. And that's why when we're looking at pitching performance and there's a game, like with Andrew Heaney last year, the first question you and I both ask is, what's changed? We look at deployment first. We look at velocity. We look at the things. Try to figure out. It's like when something goes wrong with the car, you want to open the hood and see what happened, right? Yeah. You don't want it to be nothing. Right. Yeah. And, and with like, Haney, it's very obvious what happened with Haney. But Swap the interesting change, thing about it. Increased velocity. There you go. As you were going through it, though, all those things you mentioned are positive things, and and they made big differences. But it's funny, the quality of contact went kind of nuts. He gave up a lot worse quality of contact last year and still had better results. And by the way, the XFIP backs up the better results. The XERA backs up the better results. Just kind of interesting because if you just looked at quality of contact alone, you'd think it was a decline. Yeah, but I mean, you know, his his velocity isn't great. He added some, 
but he's still only at 93 on the fastball. So really what he's trying to do is get you in a position where he can use that wipeout slider. And if somebody guesses right earlier in the count, because he is around the strike zone more than a lot of guys, they hit it hard. But, you know, if he can get ahead of you, then he's he's putting people away. This is who he is at this point. He is a back-end starter because he yeah. doesn't he, – despite those high-swing strike rates, the ground ball rate is so poor that he's going to allow some hard contact. He's going to have some bad starts. He also doesn't go deep into games. So Heaney is a high upside guy in sort of limited doses. He's a great fifth starter. I don't expect him to be any more than that. This is me showing my age again, though, but – I I didn't like the full decrease in the changeup. I mean, you can back off your changeup, especially if it's not effective. But those two, if you activated your slider and it's being effective and your fastball and you got a little velocity and you got a good combination going, you're, ne- you're never hurt by being able to show a slider a little bit more than you showed it. And he's thrown it in the past. And plus, I don't understand why all pitchers in the major leagues don't throw decent change-ups anyway it's not a difficult pitch to learn it doesn't seem to be a difficult pitch to learn but i'd almost like to see that percentage come back at least in the double digits this year or eight nine ten percent just be able to show it to keep people off because as you said not really extreme velocity here i'd like to be able to give hitters something else to think about while they're looking for that slider and sitting on the fastball i agree with you uh that change-up was his secondary offering the slider was tertiary uh, as he was kind of going through the really injury-plagued years in the mid-2010s. Uh, but he's he's since gone very heavily to the slider. And you'll see that he's the kind of guy that, because of the hard contact that he allows and because of his propensity for leaving games early, he has always underperformed his XFIP. We're at seven straight years that he's underperformed his XFIP. So he's going to look better than his performances are. But last year, he was so good that even the underperformance of his XFIP still allowed a 310 ERA in 73 innings. All right, let's move to the outfield here. And uh, another guy who's been on the list of binkies here at Fantastics for a long, long time, Christian Yelich. And it's been a, a long, winding road for Christian Yelich, both in terms of his draft value and where you can get him and the price that you have to pay for him. He's turned around to the point where he could be a huge profit center here. He could. I uh, don't like what I've seen in the first four games of the season from him, except for the fact that the launch angle's up. So, you know, I, I think he's searching. I think he feels healthy this year. Uh, I've actually read a number of interviews with him. He seems more motivated than I've seen him in the past. He's a real laid-back guy. Um, you know, I, I think he's he's been more aggressive to start this year. He's trying to hit the ball in the air more. I think he's going to figure it out. He's only 31. There's still a ton of talent here. And the most important thing for Yelich always has been health. And I feel like he's healthy. He says he's healthy. The back is better. The knee that he, that knee injury was really the start of all of this because he was having such a monster season in 2019, 44 homers in 130 games and he shattered that kneecap and he has not been the same since. So I feel like I'm going to listen to him. He says that he feels better than he has since that year. So I, I'm going to bank on the performance here. And the thing with Yelich is, you know, especially a lot of us play in OBP-based leagues now, where that probably wasn't the case five to ten years ago. Christian Yelich is an OBP monster. Even in the struggles to start this year, his OBP is 368. He's already stolen a base. He stole 19 last year, so he's going to give you speed. You know the power is there because the exit velocity has been well above average every season. 
So there's just a ton of potential here. And for where he was being drafted, he could easily give you outfielder two kind of numbers. And where was the ADP for him among outfielders? It was somewhere in the 30s, if I'm not mistaken. All right. I didn't hear anything you just said. 27. Or I, I didn't hear anything you just said or see anything about that. The only thing I'm focusing on right now is exactly what you mentioned in there is the launch angle of 12.2. Christian Yelich is an excellent hitter. You're going to tell me he's going to have a launch angle of 12 this year. I'm rubbing my hands together in glee. Yeah, I'm in. Yep. Yep. I'm all in. I'm not all that worried about the first 15 at bats and what's happened. If that launch angle is going to get up in the double digits, love that guy. The only year he was in double digits with a launch angle, he had 44 homers and stole 30 bases and batted 329. Yep. So that's the big thing for me. And we know who he is, healthy or unhealthy. He, he gets the bat on the ball. He's a quality hitter. It's just a matter of how much power is he going to provide, how much in counting stats, how much of an impact player is going to be. And that all comes down to launch angle, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does in the end. You know, he's a serviceable player without launch angle in the upper single digits or God, even lower double digits in, in a perfect world. Um, but, you know, he's a star if he's up there. So. And the health, 19 stolen bases last year, which is a bit of a rebound in the stolen base category, which indicates a, a better condition of health. Yeah, I think it does. And he was still only caught three times. So the efficiency was there. Uh, the base running score on fan graphs did not quite approach his 2017 to 2019 numbers, but it did get back to his 2015, 2014 to 2016 numbers. So I feel like he's he's healthy. He's maybe not 100% of what he was at age 26, 27. But I think that he's as healthy as, as he's going to be at age 31. So I'm really looking forward to, to the next four to six weeks to see Christian Yelich start to perform the way that we expect him to again. All right. When we talked about Austin Meadows on the Sirius XM show, we're 11 to 1 Saturdays and Sundays on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. When we talked about him on the show this weekend, I was kind of fascinated by the story you told me because he was he is a player that, like many people, I've just kind of turned my head away. I'm not even paying attention anymore. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize the path that he's traveled to this point and didn't realize some of the underlying problems. And so that's missing information as I start to look at his potential value. Well, this is a, it's a topic that uh, hits very close to home for me with uh, some of my family situation. So when I ran across this article, I, I read it a couple times through, and I don't read anything twice through because my memory is generally pretty good. Yep. Um, but I read the whole article, and I was just sort of fascinated by what he discussed and how he's going about trying to help people and be very open about his struggles with his own emotional health and things in rehabbing from injury last year. And he basically just he went to the Tigers and, and said, you know, I'm really sorry, but I just I can't play baseball right now. Uh, I'm just, I, I'm not in a place where I can go out there and compete with you guys. I, I just can't get physically healthy and it's really ruining me emotionally. So, you know, he's been very open about the process and he said that this spring he, he felt good again. He performed very well this spring, said he feels good emotionally, feels good physically. And Austin Meadows when fully healthy. I mean, at 24, he hit 33 homers, stole 12 bases and batted 291 with Tampa. Since then, he's become a little more of a fly ball hitter. And I think that that is going to hurt that batting average a little bit. Uh, the line drive percentage has dropped 4 to 5% since then, and that always will hurt your Babbitt. So, but I think that there's enough here, you know, in terms of the exit velocity is just kind of averaged to slightly above, but he's a very good hitter, 
very good contact hitter compared to what people think of him because they see the batting average. Low batting average does not mean poor contact hitter. It could mean a lot of different things. So I just think that at age 28, you don't just become a different guy than you were at 24. The, most of yeah. the physical talent should still be there. So I think that there's a lot of profit here potentially. And it's a situation, as we talked about during the show, the fact that he admitted it so publicly and took it on gives you um, gives you an idea that he this is probably something that they'll handle certainly a little bit better and he'll have a little bit more control over. And again, we can look at the stat box, and that's what we do at Fantastics all the time. We're looking at stat boxes all the time and looking at indicators, but that's not where the story lies here. The story lies here with his approach to the game and how and what kind of uh, piece he's going to be at during the game because he's still a quality hitter. I'll even take 2021, and this is my own bias against batting average, which I, don't, which I don't really care all that much about if you're hitting me 27 homers and driving in 100 runs. But even that, that was a low BABIP. That wasn't even, as you said, it's not a contact issue. It's not a quality of hitting issue it's a matter of he had some headwinds in terms of batting average the power was still there i'll even take that but he's better than the 230 hitter if he just has his head on straight and plays then he's going to give you he's going to return a great value on what his asking price was this spring so low in fact like i said i'm not paying attention to him all that much yeah i'm, I'm right there with you i think that the shift rules will help a hitter like him a little bit uh, i think that he's going to put up an exit velocity around 90 slightly above average uh, I think he'll make contact at a league average rate, maybe slightly better. He's going to bat, you know, in those RBI spots, fifth, sixth in the Tiger order. All these things combined, I, I feel like if he is truly healthy. And last year, there's no wonder he had some emotional struggles because in the matter of two months, he had vertigo, COVID, and strained both Achilles. It's like, you know, all right, what next, locusts? Yep. So <laughs> really? I, I can I can totally understand why he just, you know, got kind of bummed out about things. Uh, and in April of last year, just to kind of add further fuel to why I feel like he can be a good outfielder four, outfielder five this year, in April last year, before the vertigo, he hit 328, 434, 422 in a lot of bad weather stuff uh, playing in Detroit. So I feel like the skill set is still there. He's right in his prime athletically. So there's no reason to expect that he can't come back to at least 2021's form, like Lou said. Or, God forbid, he puts up a 2019 year, I'll be giddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the fact is that it is on the table now and being dealt with that gives you some, uh, it gives you at least some hope that he'll be able to keep it together for, for the course of the season. Or, or yeah. that'll be less of a factor because if that is out of the way and we can just watch his talent, his talent is going to produce for you and, again, be a huge profit center this year. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, don't be alarmed by the first four games worth of data because he's faced Shane McClanahan and Jeffrey Springs. Yeah. And, I mean, Tampa and Houston is, is the beginning of the Tigers' schedule. So their whole team is scuffling offensively. Don't read anything into it for a few weeks, like all like all data in April. You think Tampa might be able to have an understanding of how to handle them, too? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> so that plays into it, too. Yeah, see, this is the problem with uh, – this is the tightrope that we walk between taking things into account – that happened because you have to, but not overreacting to him. Sometimes a reaction is perfectly viable and, and rational. Sometimes you're overreacting. Yeah, and it's easy to overreact, especially, uh, you know, I'm playing in Tout Wars for the first time and I'm watching my <laughs> – I was way ahead the first couple of days and now I'm a little bit behind and I'm watching Ariel get starts from these absolutely garbage pitchers and scoring points. And I'm like, these guys are terrible. 
how can these guys score points? And then finally, thankfully, uh, what's uh, the guy that got destroyed last night for the Indians? He's somebody oh. that I would never even roster ever in my life. So he went one inning and gave up six runs. And I was like, thankfully, order is restored. <laughs> well, it's funny because I talk about this all the time with hitters. And it's why with uh, Volpe, I was wondering why the Yankees decided to go with him early. He could have used some time in AAA in my estimation. Plus, you keep him out of New York in April. And you don't get into those situations where he's just walking up to the plate all April long with a 143 batting average. It gets in your head as a head-to-head guy or even in fantasy baseball in general. What happens early gets in our head, too. We start to shape our whole perception of our roster and our team and certain players based on bad results. I was I went through the process with Cody Bellinger just the last couple of days trying to find a replacement for him and you know, thinking about waiver claims. And last night, and last night he hits homer. I'm going, yep. okay, feel better now. Well, and, and you know, Chicago had those couple terrible weather days that were graded at 78 on, on 100 being neutral for offense. So, you know, you have to take every day. You know, we, we want every day to go perfectly. We want to see great results from all of the decisions that we made. We want instant gratification, and that is not how baseball works. Baseball is long. Baseball is prolonged gratification. So we have to be patient. I know, but you're looking at yourself last in the standings. You're getting killed in the head-to-head, and you're going, i got to do something about this roster. i got to do something about this roster, right? I'm just waiting for Sandy Alcantara to start tonight, and all will be right with the world again. Kyle Isbell is a guy that we were very high on in Fantastics here in the preseason, and a lot of people, would you get a lot of who out of people, and he's only hitting 214 this year, but and small sample. I get it. It's only 14 at-bats. 70% hard hit, 10% barrel rate, 91.9 exit velocity. Kid's hitting the ball hard. He is, and, you know, he had sort of average, maybe just a tick above average exit velocity last year at age 25, and we expect age 25, 26 is when physical maturity fully occurs. You might get a little bit of a power spike. So this year, yeah, I mean, there's been like six batted ball events, 10 batted ball events, but his exit velocity is 92, 10% barrel rate, 70% hard hit rate, certainly not being rewarded from that to this point. How do you um, collect a 10% barrel rate with a five-degree launch angle? I don't understand how that works. You hit, you hit one out of your 10 balls on the barrel, which yeah, is the right. launch angle. Small and, sample. There we go. Yeah, exactly. And that oh, was the yeah. double. I'm sure that was the double that he hit. Yeah. So, you know, Kyle Isbell... He, he runs. He has some power in terms of exit velocity, so he just has to improve the launch angle. He has shown it before. Age 24, AAA, hit 15 homers in 105 games. That's something that equates to around 22, 23 home runs in a full season. Uh, certainly would be acceptable. I'd take the 15 for a full season. Um, and makes contact an above-average clip. Stole 22 bases that same year in 105 games at AAA, so he mm-hmm. can run. He stole nine last year at the major league level. Uh, did get caught a bit. But I think this year, uh, running being easier, if he plays every day, he should steal 15 to 20 bases, I would think. And the injury to Michael Taylor opened up a lot of playing time, so it gives him a little bit of latitude. Uh, he's he's probably, of the entire list of players, he's the one that I think is least likely to do what I'm hoping he can do. But the skill set's there. And as soon as that playing time opened up, I thought, yep, he belongs on this list. And I think the acclimation will be somewhat liminal, uh, limited he went from high A to triple A and still posted that 8.5% swing strike percentage and the 20% K rate, hit very well at triple A, came up to the majors last year, 8.8 swing strike percentage, 31, 32% chase rate. He acclimates very quickly. He's just a quality hitter. He makes good contact and he controls his own. 
So it's going to it's going to happen for him and it's going to happen quickly. It's just a matter of how much power he's going to end up showing. He'll steal some bases, too. He'll get on base. It's just a matter of how much how that power is going to develop. And he's shown some flashes of it. So that's kind of what we're hoping for. And when you see that exit velocity, it was 89.7 last year, better than we expected out of his home run totals or what we expected his power to be. That's going to be the key element. If he can develop some power and he's only 25 years old, and once he gets comfortable and some lift starts to come in again, that 5.3 degree launch angle, all he's going to do is get in the high teens and approach 20 in home runs, which he seems more than capable of. And he becomes a very valuable player. He does. And one thing that really is to his benefit is that he can play all three outfield positions. He is a plus plus defender in the corners. He's probably a minus defender in center, but he can handle it. And the other guys that the Royals have out there without Taylor really can't handle center field. So I think that that buys him some playing time to work through any offensive struggles that he might come across. All right. Let's just talk about uh, Cabrian Hayes as the new Christian Yelich. (laughs) I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping because if he's healthy and last year, this is a kid that he played through uh, hand and wrist injuries last year. So when you look at the power number, it's, it's misleading to me because hand injuries more than anything else. And this is why I'm not really a big buyer of Jose Altuve coming back. Hand injuries sap power and they tend to do so for the entire season. Even after the player comes back, they'll be able to hit, they'll be able to make contact at their normal rate. They will not get the elevation and probably the exit velocity that they got in the past. So yeah, they can, Hayes, they can get back in the lineup, but they can't get the bad head around in quite the same way. Yeah, not not on the same plane, even though it might be at the same speed. So last year, exit velocity stayed at 91. It was actually up a little bit from 21, down a little bit from his rookie season, uh, the shortened 2020. Uh, but he's shown consistently well above average exit velocities. Early season this year, he's up to 92 and a half, which is... I think it's something he can handle. He's He has very good power. He is above average in terms of contact, chases a little bit, so that doesn't help things. But he's a very talented hitter, stole 20 bases last year, so he has speed. The exit velocities are good enough that any launch angle increase is going to result in quite a few homers. The bugaboo with Cabrian Hayes, I think, is the chase rate, and it's the surrounding team environment. That's not a good offensive team. Yeah, and this launch angle and his ability to lift, this is a major league thing. It's In the minors, he's shown more ability to lift, 34% fly ball percentage in 2019 in AAA and 43.4% in 437 at-bats in 2018. So it's not part of his makeup. It's not part of who he is, much like Yelich was kind of that way coming in. We knew it was a choice for Yelich, but that was who he was as a hitter. It was just a matter of asking him to come out of it a little bit. I think Cabrian Hayes, it's a matter of settling in, and then the lift will come and the power will come, and he's got some potential because he hits the ball hard. He does hit the ball hard, and he's a he's a plus-plus defender, probably one of the best third basemen in baseball. So I think that that, again, you know, we don't value that for fantasy purposes, but it's important for fantasy purposes because the better defender will have greater latitude in terms of keeping or earning playing time. And playing right. time is what we're all about here, trying to find these guys – that are going to accumulate counting stats for us. If everyone else is equal, you want the guy that plays more. Well, yes, and if it's not equal, sometimes if you're going to get 450 at-bats out of a hitter as opposed to 200 at-bats out of a hitter, sometimes you actually take the worst hitter. Right? Oh, no question, because you have twice as many runs in RBIs. Right, because it's a cumulative situation in offense, so at-bats are the critical thing, and any factor that contributes to 
increasing their bat total is something you have to pay attention to. Defense chief among them. Position flexibility nowadays chief amongst them. I know a lot of major league teams and rosters like guys who, who they can fit in the lineup at several positions. So, And we're going to talk about one in a second. That's exactly that situation. But um, anything that affects playing time and accumulates at bats is a positive thing. And it's something you have to pay attention to from a fantasy value standpoint. Yep. Yeah, I definitely think that that's true. And, you know, Hayes for me is a guy, he's just a banky of mine. I, I, I'm i enamored with the skill set. I think he's going to put it together. He's also got the pedigree too. I, I I really do like kids of former major leaguers. I think that uh, they just grew up around the game. They understand the game. Coaches love them. Uh, I think that that helps too. Yeah, they listen to their dad. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's always <laughs> good practice. Wanda Franco has launch angle issues as well, but Wanda Franco is, and this is where we find a lot of profit these days. There's a couple places where I think we find a lot of profit. There's an age bias. Older hitters sometimes get overlooked because they're older hitters. And of course, the post-hype prospect is another place where you can usually find a lot of value. Yeah, and and he definitely fits that bill because he was so highly touted and then a little bit banged up. And uh, it's amazing how fast people forget about things. Like this kid was banged up, but at age 20 and 21 in what amounts to a full season, he had 13 homers, 10 steals, 99 runs, and hit 283. Um, okay, that's a pretty good debut at, at, at an age where most guys are still in double A. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, unlike the rest of the guys that we've been talking about from a hitting standpoint, Yelich, Isbell, Meadows, Hayes, who are all struggling a little bit the first four games of the season, Wander Franco looks like he's going to be an MVP candidate this year at age 22. So this one I feel really good about. Uh, he is below average exit velocity, so I'm not expecting a 20 home run season out of him. I think 10 to 15 is probably where you're going to be. Uh, I do expect maybe 15 steals or so. I think what you're getting with Wander Franco is you're going to get a ton of runs scored. You're going to get a great batting average. He's also fairly selective. So you're going to get a great batting average and even greater OBP. And swinging strike rates of 75 and 6% in his first two partial major league seasons, 4% here in the early going. Clearly just a, a wonderful, wonderful contact hitter. I think he's a future 300 hitter without question. Could be as early as this year. Uh, but, you know, just hitting in the middle of the Tampa lineup, which is features just a ton of guys getting on base, a ton of guys moving people around. They're not none of them are spectacular hitters, but none of them are easy outs. And I think you're going to find this lineup turning over quite a bit. Wander Franco is going to have a great year. I'm 100 percent convinced. All right. So a 315 15 hitter, that's it's not quite a floor, but it's pretty reasonable expectation for him this year. What's the career? What's the what's the ceiling? He's a 300. He's capable 300 hitter. And home runs, uh, stolen bases, 15 is probably a pretty easy projection, too, with enough playing time if he stays healthy enough. What's the home run ceiling? Ceiling like three to four years from now at 25, 26 years old? Peak, yeah. Yeah, I think I think his peak year will look something like 325, 25 homers, 15 to 20 steals, over 100 runs scored, and probably 90 runs batted in. 325, 25, 20, is that what you just told me? Yeah, he's he's an MVP candidate in the future. No question about it in my mind. All right. So in dynasties and keeper elements leagues, take advantage of the sale, right? Yes, without question. Because, you know, we want all these players to show up fully formed because occasionally they do now. They never used to. But occasionally guys show up at age 20, 21 now. And well, the asking price that. kind of demands it of them nowadays. Corbin Carroll, yeah. Corbin he's, Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> Here. Corbin Carroll's very similar to Wander Franco. A little bit less than the average, a little bit more power, a little bit more speed, I think. 
but he demanded a high price. You you want immediate results. You're not going to you don't want to wait three or four years for him to go through struggles, have some injury issues and then finally get there and then are a Byron Buxton type of situation because these are such highly touted prospects. Their price gets really high. Wanda Franco with the post type prospect, the price comes down. It does. And that's, you know, just our impatience as a society at this point and like every aspect of it. But I think that this path is much more typical. This, oh, this yeah. is how players develop in general. Uh, Brendan Donovan is one of those guys. It's the amount of at-bats. Accumulation is the issue here with Brendan Donovan on a couple of fronts. You want to make sure he earns enough at-bats to make his value. But there's some questions because you don't know how what he's going to be able to accumulate in terms of homers and stolen bases. And it's really hard to have questions about playing time, questions about home run, and questions about speed. Yeah, I think Brent, Brendan Donovan is a guy that he pretty much is a victim of, well, he doesn't do anything great, so I'm not really interested. No, but he does everything. And I mean everything. He plays every position but catcher. He clearly has excellent contact ability. Great walk rate, very, very disciplined at the plate. And I just look at his 2021 year where, yeah, he was very old to start in high A, but that is a pretty common situation coming off the COVID year where he's he was a 22-year-old, his college bat, that played a full year in A ball with one game at AAA in 2019, okay? So that was a very normal sort of age curve for a college draftee in his uh, – he played four games the year he was drafted. So that was his first season in essence. So then the COVID year. So who knows what's going on? So he start, they start him again, one level up in high A in 2021. He plays 25 games at high A. It's 295, OBP 385, two homers and seven steals in 25 games. Fine. And that's a pace for a dozen homers and like 40 steals. Great, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yep. So they bump him up to double A. Plays 50 games at double A, four homers, eight steals. Okay. Again, a pace for a dozen homers, Pays for like 25 steals, hits 320 on base of 410. Great. I mean, this is awesome. So they bump him up to AAA. 33 games at AAA, hits six homers, four steals. So, I mean, now we're kind of at a pace where all right, maybe he's a 20 home run, 20 steal guy, and he hit 290 at AAA. So for the year, he hit 300, 12 homers, 19 steals across three levels. So he comes up after a month in the minors in uh, last year, 2022, again, hitting 300. And he only hits 280 with five homers and two steals while playing everywhere around the diamond and getting jerked in and out of the lineup all the time. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can be disappointed if you want. I think it's pretty impressive. <laughs> so then he comes out this spring and hits four or five homers in spring. And you think, well, all right. I mean, maybe this kid actually has average power and above average speed and well above average contact ability and plays every position on the diamond but catcher. Why would I not want this guy on my team? He's 6'1", 195. I mean, I hate to go old school scouting on you, but just the physicality of that demands he's got he's got representatives amount, amounts of power. And the fact that he's not hitting for power is approach. And as you said, he got jerked around so much uh, with St. Louis in and out of the lineup, different positions, things like that. And he's a contact first hitter. It's perfectly reasonable that he'd just go contact centric in that situation. Well, yeah, because that is his, that's his primary MO. But, you know, what do I say all the time about age curves is that hitting a ton of homers at age 21, 22, 23 is relatively unusual. Most players maximize their power at age 25, 26, and then maintain that into their early to mid thirties. 
Brendan Donovan's 26 this year. Right. So if he comes out this year and hits 280 to 290 with 15 homers and 15 steals and can play anywhere in the diamond, and oh, by the way, he's never had an OBP under 377 at any level, how is that not a guy that is really valuable? And I'm picking up for $1 at the end of all these auctions, including Tout Wars, where people should know better. And you're just writing off, you're writing off his power capability when again, physically he should have reasonable power. He's a quality hitter. He's shown some power in the minors, not, not representative power. He's shown representative power. Plus he doesn't fit the model yet for that power breakout. You, you talk about the age curve on power coming out. It also gets reset a little bit in the major leagues because when they reach the majors, if they're not superstars, they go, they go a little bit more contact centric as well. When they get a couple of years of playing time, regular playing time, feel established in the majors, he only has 410 major league at bats at this point. And again, most of those 410 at bats, he's been jerked around. So yeah. there's no reason for him to feel comfortable. When he feels comfortable, the lift will come back. The power will come back. And again, if he could post 1530, he's pretty valuable, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. And so far this year, he's only been playing second base. But I do expect that they're going to use his uh, positional flexibility and move him around a little bit. Uh, they have a lot of – the Cardinals are – man, I mean, they're an enviable organization. Uh, I mean, you just – you look at what they do with their players, and they just seem to have all these mix-and-match guys. They can go so many different ways, and they got a couple guys, Goldschmidt and Arenado, that just kind of stay where they are. And everybody yeah. else just kind of – you can plug and play wherever you want them. And it's perfectly adequate, and they all hit. They all hit more than you'd think they'd hit, given their minor league stats, it seems. just They just can't get the pitching right the last handful of years. But the Cardinals are just one of those organizations. When I see a Cardinal hitting prospect come up and I see that he's going to play, I'm immediately interested. All right, exceedingly small samples. I understand. I don't want to get too involved in this. But he's showing this whole level of comfort and getting bringing the power back into the game a little bit swing strike rate is up chase rate is up he's just a little more aggressive fly ball rate is up quality of contact is up hard hit percentage barrel percentage launch angle 11.9 and average exit velocity is only 88.5 but that's an improvement he's getting a little more aggressive it's starting to show it a little bit and four barrels in uh in 16 hits 16 batted balls yep that's uh four barrels i believe leads the league already so he's clearly being more aggressive. You look at the chase rates up 10%, swing strike rates almost doubled to a little bit below average. <laughs> he's a he's a pretty impressive young hitter. And I think, you know, he's it's pretty clear to me that he is changing his approach, both this spring yep. and now what we've seen the first four games of regular season. So there's probably going to be some growing pains here. The average may be suspect for a little bit, but I think his skill set will win out. And you're going to see some ups and downs over the course of the year, but I think this kid is a bona fide major leaguer. I think he's going to be a solid starter for many, many years. And maybe this is the year that he settles into one position, but this is the year where he's going to have the maximum value because he's eligible at every position but catcher. Yep. All right. We got we got we got Rowdy Telez and Logan O'Hoppy to to do at the end here. Let's just do a quick one on on Rowdy Telez because we've talked about Rowdy Telez a lot. Yeah, I was depressed yesterday when the Brewers scored 10 runs and Yelich and Pelez did virtually nothing. <laughs> they were the only guys in the lineup that did nothing. Yeah, um, in my so, lineup too, both of them. But that's yeah, yeah, well, I mean, we're all kind of invested in the same areas. Yep. 
Uh, but Teles is a guy in the last four years, exit velocities go between well above average and elite. Uh, he was 36th in average exit velocity last year in the majors, 10th in max exit velocity. His raw power rivals anyone's. Uh, really very patient hitter at the plate. Will definitely get his share of walks. He'll swing and miss some, but really it's a lot less than you'd think. His swing strike rate was only 9.3% last year. It's well above average. Yep. Uh, above average in terms of being better, not worse than the league. So, you know, tons of power. And the batting average will be iffy, but I think the shift rules will help him some. Uh, his style of hitter, they'll help him more than they'll help just about anybody else. So I feel like Tillis was really undervalued down in the, you know, maybe he's a starting corner infielder category. I feel like he's a top 10 first baseman. Yeah, not much of a track record, just that 35 home run season and hitting 219. That's going to turn a lot of people off. And it really shouldn't at the first base position where you can get into some trouble uh, pretty quickly if you're not picking at the top. But this is another one of these situations where I felt really confident during the draft, just sitting here waiting. And I'm going to get Rowdy Tellez and I'll get him a couple of rounds from now. Yep. Yeah, I felt the same way. All right, Logan O'Hoppy, and he he was one of my worst snipes here in the preseason. And so when he hit a home run against me the other day, it just, it just hurts so bad when, when he hits the home run against me. But, well, I got ridiculed for taking him as my second catcher in tout uh, because everybody was sure he was going to be in AAA. I was much less sure than everybody else that he was going to be in AAA, and it, I, I ended up being right um, mostly because Max Stassi got hurt because I think it was going to come down to he and Matt Thace and Matt Thace was on the 40-man, and Ohapi was not. Yep. So we will see what's going to happen. That, you get into that situation for an organization where do I ride the kid on the bench or do I let him go down and play every day? With a catcher, however, sometimes letting him ride on the bench and seeing the way things work and going through the hitters' meetings and, and doing that type of thing and working with the pitchers, that's a bit of an advantage. They might have rode with him at that point. Other prospects at other positions, you let the kid play every day. In this case – the the whole wild card with catching prospects is how much is their defense going to interfere with their offensive production? Yeah, and he's a good defender. So I think that it's just a question of learning how to do things at the major league level. It's not going to be, well, we got to get this kid at least to below average, right. uh, which yeah. is basically the case with the other guy, Matt Thace, who has been a first baseman first and a catcher very distant second during his time with the minors. Uh, I've had him in one of my huge dynasty leagues since he was drafted, Matt Thace. And Matt Thace's best skill is drawing walks, and those types of hitters don't really do well at the major league level. So Logan O'Hoppy will draw walks, and he'll also hit for power, and he has a little bit of speed, and his swing strike rate in the minors was better than average at every level. So this kid is a very well-rounded prospect that you haven't heard much about. Only 23 years old, as Lou will tell you a million times, coming up as a catcher is difficult, and a lot of times they struggle offensively. Uh, but he has less of a learning curve defensively than many catchers that come up. So I feel like he can hopefully give you sort of average to a little bit better catching offensive performance this year, which will put him in the top 12. In a two-catcher format, there's no reason that this kid shouldn't be drafted right now. Well, he, he's good at the physical aspects of catching. He spent some time in the majors at the end of last year. They gave him a taste. They worked through him through the spring as if he was going to be on the roster. That was one of the things I thought about the way they were approaching it, which is why I'm kind of dubious of whether he's going to be sent down or not, too. I think they were clearly moving towards having him on the roster and preparing him for the defensive side of Major League Baseball. Plus, he's a quality hitter, and quality hitters, guys who don't chase, control the strike zone, guys who make good contact. They're less susceptible to being distracted by their defensive responsibilities. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think that the combination of injuries to um, not just Matt Stassi, but also to Jared Walsh had kind of a domino effect where, you know, Matt Thace could back up first base, back up catcher, and they can give Logan Ohapi the bats that they wanted to give him. So I feel like, you know, for at least most of April, uh, he's going to be the primary catcher. And he's looked pretty good so far. You know, he's hit a couple balls really hard, has one homer. Uh, defensively, he's actually been a plus so far. So I think that things are good. They're about as good as you would have hoped for in the early going. Plus, if we bring it to the player A, player B discussion and just say, hey, this guy had 360 at-bats in, in, in double A last year and hit 36 homers, are you interested? <laughs> While hitting above 270, I don't know what the combined average was for the two uh, two stops, but um, it was over 280. Yeah, it was over 280. Yeah, I can't do that math. That and, and the OBP was over 400. So, all right, so yeah, 280, 400 OBP, 36 homers, and 360 at bats. Are you interested now? And in, uh, if you're not, you should be right, especially with the Angels with an organization of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I know the position, uh, the, the catching position has gotten a little bit better offensively over the last uh, few years with Dalton Varsho being eligible there and Adley Rutschman coming up, Francisco Alvarez is on the horizon. But this kid could easily be a top eight catcher this year if things go well. And for him to be ignored in some of the formats that, like I've seen, is just befuddling. This is one of these situations where you have to take the chance. There's certain times when I write prospects fencer, I'll say, I don't mind somebody else finding out about this guy. Sometimes I mind somebody else. If Logan Ohapi becomes what he's capable of becoming, I don't want to be sitting there going, why didn't I just claim him? You ride him. If it goes bad, you get another catcher. What's the big deal, right? Well, yeah, and most of us on your roster. Yes, most of us play in two catcher formats, right? So you're drafting 20, 24 catchers. Yep. If this kid isn't one of the 24, you're not doing your research right. A, and B, if he if he flames out, you're going to find a second catcher lying around. It's not going to be that difficult to get a representative, representative second catcher. Roll the dice on a guy who hit 36 homers and 360 at-bats in double-A last year. Yeah, like four catchers have his upside. Yep. So, you know, play it, and that's what we're looking for. It's all about profit center, right? Exactly. All right, catch us on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio 11 to 1 Saturdays and Sundays. Catch us on this uh, Inside of Baseball blog on InsideOfBaseball.com. Go check out InsideOfBaseball.com and the baseball blog and our podcast and all the great articles that are up there and also see what we have for fantasy baseball tools to help you during the course of the season. Too many people just do the draft and then just let go, take their hands off the wheel for the rest of the year. We don't want you to do that because you can win championships in season two, right, Sky? You win them working now. You win them working in July. You win them working in August, too. I think you win them more in season than you win them in the draft. I agree. And if you agree, check us out at InsideOfBaseball.com. We'll see you next time on the Fantastics Inside of Baseball podcast. Let's go!